0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
1: Job one is to look at some of those tax-deferred accounts, whether they're in company retirement plans or whether you've pulled them out and rolled them over to IRAs. That's often a major opportunity to do some streamlining by rolling those
0: accounts together into a single IRA Morningstar's personal finance guru Christine Benz takes us through the decluttering process on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track.
1: Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Baird, Bill Miller Research Affiliates, Strategus Asset Management, Women Investing in Security and Education, and Matthews Asia.
0: Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. How many of you have read the best-selling book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up? The Japanese Art of Decluttering and Organizing by Marie Kondo. First published in 2014, it created an entire movement of simplifying one's life and surroundings. True confession, I have not read it. My family and colleagues would be delighted if I did and adopted some of its practices but that is another story. This week's guest is a big believer in simplifying one's life, including your financial life, and she is here to help us declutter our portfolios. This is part two of our series on retirement planning with Christine Benz, Morningstar's longtime director of personal finance and retirement planning, daily personal finance columnist, co-host of the Longview podcast, author of several books, including 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances, And she is about to publish a new one on how to retire, which she and I discussed briefly in a recent extra feature on WealthTrack.com. You can also see part one of our interview discussing the significant impact higher yields are having on retirement planning on our website. I began this interview by asking Christine why streamlining our portfolios is worth the effort. What are its benefits? One
1: is that it's going to save you time down the line in terms of portfolio oversight, that if you have fewer accounts, fewer holdings within those accounts, it just gives you fewer moving parts to monitor. It makes it easier to make changes. So if you decide, well, I need to strip back my equity weighting, add more to bonds or whatever the case might be, it's easier to see how to move the needle on those changes if you have fewer Holdings in play. Mm -hmm. And then we also think about our loved ones. You know, if there's some reason that one of us might uh, become incapacitated or die we've all been in that situation where we've had to kind of comb through someone's paperwork. The more complicated situation they have going on, the more work it is for those loved ones. And then, you know, I also think about tax time, that that's one of the times when we're heavily engaged with our investments. We've got these 1099s coming in. The more investment providers you have, the more accounts you have, the more tax finagling you have to do, the more forms you have to file, and all that stuff. So, So um, those are some of the key reasons why I think it's just so valuable to streamline and declutter a portfolio.
0: I'm thinking, you know, we've got tax deferred accounts, we have taxable accounts, we have individual securities, you know, who knows how many disparate parts we've got. So what are the steps that we should take to, to begin this process? Right. And unfortunately,
1: some of that tax complexity is inevitable where those accounts do need to stay siloed, where you need to keep all the tax-deferred accounts together, all the Roth together, all the taxable accounts. So some complexity is unavoidable. It's important to remember that people have a lot of different tax-deferred accounts typically. So the typical person has like 12 employers over his or her lifetime, Mm -hmm. which oftentimes results in a lot of small pots of money all over the place. So job one is to look at some of those tax-deferred accounts, whether they're in company retirement plans or whether you've pulled them out and rolled them over to IRAs. That's often a major opportunity to do some streamlining by rolling those accounts together into a single IRA mm-hmm. there might be you know occasionally some reason that someone might want to leave assets in, in an employer plan um, one would be the creditor protections depending on the state where you live may be a little better within the 401k plan than is the case in the IRA. Um, There might be specialized investment types that you can only get in your 401K. So there are a few sort of outlier cases where someone might wanna leave assets in a company retirement plan, but oftentimes if you've left that employer, rolling it all into one big tax-deferred traditional IRA is the way to go. And then you wanna look at your other account types, if you have multiple Roth account types, if you can consolidate them with a single provider and the same would go for taxable accounts. So just to try to reduce the amount of, reduce the number of financial relationships that you have, I think is a great starting point for this process.
0: And are you recommending that you consolidate everything uh, with one provider? How does that work?
1: Well, I I would tend to urge people to think about that. The right. big question mark is, you know, what are the security protections mm-hmm. of that provider? That um, there are potentially some risks. I don't want to scare people by um, suggesting the, those risks are great. But frankly, we don't know. It kind of depends on the investment provider and how seriously they take client account protection. Mm -hmm. My Mm -hmm. anecdotal observation in talking to big firms about this matter is that they take it very seriously indeed because it's their whole reputation. But um, I suppose that is one argument for people who are really concerned about that for for spreading their assets across multiple providers. For myself, I think I'll be I'll, I'll feel comfortable enough aggregating with a single provider because of the benefits that I think come along with just having fewer financial entanglements, fewer statements and so forth.
0: Right. And and if you've got a, a number of small IRAs, which a lot of people do, and and you're considering consolidating them into one, you know, large IRA, I mean, you know, and I'm thinking of maybe there are lots of different investments in those different IRA accounts. Should that be consolidated as well? Yeah. So if
1: you wanted to keep those same investments, you're often able to do an in-kind transfer mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm, new sure. provider. So mm-hmm. if you if you really like inv- investments at firm A, but you want them to go over to firm B, usually they will let you do an in-kind transfer. So mm-hmm. that's. Um, a possibility, but I like the idea of p- people taking a step back and saying, well, can we simplify some of the holdings within the accounts? So we've taken this the step to reduce the number of accounts, but let's take a closer look at those accounts. Are these, Uh, smaller balances within those accounts really adding value, or are they maybe, you know, just sort of vestiges of a bygone era where we, you know, really cared about picking (laughs) stocks, for example, and now we don't spend that much time picking stocks. So I think there is a streamlining opportunity, a chance to move into a more simplified portfolio that, you know, maybe just uses broad building blocks, maybe exchange-traded funds, index funds to give you the asset class exposures that you want without all of the moving parts in that portfolio.
0: One of the funds that you've mentioned to me in the past is, is uh, Fidelity has a multi-asset index fund, for instance. And would that be a, a, you know, a good kind of you know, one-step kind of uh, IRA type of investment that, that we could do if we really wanted to simplify our accounts and our investments? Absolutely. I love all in one funds. Not
1: all of Uh them, certainly, but uh, the Fidelity Fund, the multi asset index fund that you mentioned, target date funds, I think, can be really elegant solutions. So, say you have this small Roth IRA that is just a fairly small share of your portfolio. You don't think you'll be tapping into it anytime soon. A target date fund can be a super solution there where it starts out very equity heavy. And then as you get closer to retirement, would transition into a little bit more of a conservative profile. But yeah, just a, a great idea. We, we want to shop carefully and look for a low expense fund with a good track record. But um, I think that's a, a really nice idea.
0: And, and for larger accounts, and especially those uh, for people who are more active managers, what are you recommending to them to help them consolidate, even though they want still to have some maybe more active sleeves? Yeah, and I think
1: there's a lot of value to that, especially for retirees Mm -hmm. who are actively drawing upon their portfolio. In a year like 2022, you don't want to touch your stocks, right? Whereas if you were pulling money from a target date fund, you are indirectly taking from your stock exposure because you're just taking a pro rata distribution over whatever the, the holdings in the portfolio are. So I do like the idea of retirees, especially having specific sleeves dedicated to U.S equity, international equity, bond, maybe some short-term bonds and some cash. Mm-hmm. And there I would just use exchange-traded funds or index-tracking funds as a means of giving yourself a lot of diversification in the semblance of a very low-cost portfolio. So I think that that's a super way to go.
0: And, and also, Christine, I mean, you actually have for free on Morningstar's website you, you do have these uh, minimalist model portfolios, is that which is probably something that we should check out if, if we still you know want to actually build our own, It's
1: educational, so we're not selling anything. The idea is just to show what we think are sane asset allocations, sane portfolio mixes for people at different life stages. So for people who are in their 20s and 30s, it would be a very equity-heavy, globally diversified portfolio. And then for people getting closer or in retirement, the portfolio would be a little bit more conservative. But the idea is to kind of show how low you can go in terms of number of holdings that you really can obtain a lot of diversification with very few holdings. And I wish more people would think about that.
0: So, you know, we'll definitely have a, a link to it on our website. And again, it's, it's free for these model portfolios. The additional pruning, and I'm thinking of the, again, the, the niche assets that we might have purchased over the years, you know, a specific uh, type of very specialized fund that was, you know, hot 20 years ago, or, or, um, or it, you know, in individual stocks, what, what do we do with those kind of those outliers those little niche um, holdings what what's your recommendation there?
1: Well, really take a hard look at them. You know a lot of things that people hold to hold in their portfolios with an eye toward adding diversification so things like commodities or the whole category of alternative type investments. what we see is that historically they haven't done a super great job of diversifying a Mm -hmm. 60-40 U.S. equity fixed income portfolio. They're usually more costly, so I don't see a strong case for holding them. Um, the same would go for these small individual stock portfolios that a lot of investors hold alongside their mutual fund portfolios. Oftentimes the individual stock portfolio is duplicative of what's in their mutual funds. So mm-hmm. you know, it might consist of like Nvidia and uh, Amazon and Apple and the, the hot companies that everyone wants to own. Well, you already own them in your mutual funds. So take a hard look at those holdings they're duplicative, they may be adding risk. Just bear in mind the tax implications of selling mm-hmm. things out of your portfolio, that um, you know, if you're talking about a taxable account, you do wanna get some tax advice, get some financial advisor input on the decision about whether to sell.
0: One of the things, uh, Christine, that, that you've mentioned uh, recently to me is that, uh, that Charlie Munger, one of the great value investors of all time, who recently died, uh, Warren Buffett's business partner for many years at Berkshire Hathaway, um, had it had a, an approach to simplifying uh, his investments as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, he had what's called a too hard pile, and what he and Warren Buffett would kind of think about to decide which investments to invest the energy into researching further. And I think it's just such a uh, clarifying concept for all of us investors to think about what our circle of competence is, where we have the ability to make smart investment decisions, where we have the time to spend on portfolio oversight and maybe where we just don't want to bother. And the funny thing, for me at least, when I think about my own evolution as an investor is, my too hard pile kind of grows as the years go by. Like, even though I know more than I did certainly when I began my career. I just have a bigger group of investments that I don't really care to monkey with, that I do care to maintain a pretty streamlined portfolio Mm -hmm. and not have to spend a lot of time on portfolio oversight. So I would put the category of alternative assets there. For me, I've decided I'm not an individual stock investor, and the onus is really on all of us to do a little bit of soul-searching and also to look at our past track record as investors, think about how we've done with some of these categories, and use that to influence what goes into our too-hard pile.
0: Um, I love that idea, a too-hard pile, I'm going to to implement that immediately. Documentation uh, is really important uh, as as we go through this process. So, you know, t- tell us, you know, what kind of documentation we need.
1: Well, I like the idea of everyone having an investment policy statement, and financial institutions institutions create these, you know, multi-page. Uh, investment policy statements, you don't need to get complicated. Just state what your target asset allocation is, what the funds are going toward, what when you expect, expect to spend them. You don't have to be complicated, but you're outlining that in an investment policy statement. And then for people who are retired, I like the idea of also creating a retirement policy statement that gets into some detail about what withdrawal rate you'll use with your portfolio, when you plan to claim Social Security, what asset allocation you'll use and on down the line. And those two things I think can work together nicely. And then finally, I like the idea of everyone having um, kind of a master directory where you're documenting what you hold and the basic idea is that that it's kind of a one sheet that you could leave for your loved ones or tell your spouse about that I've got this document that has what investments we have, where we hold them, what investment provider we deal with, if there's an individual at these financial institutions who you deal with, you're documenting all of those things and of course you're keeping it safe because you might have some personally identified identifying information on this document. But I think it's kind of a best practice for all of us as we age to make sure that we are documenting so that when that handover inevitably occurs, where someone has to pick up uh, our financial lives and try to figure out what we had going on, that that we've documented it and done that advanced work of, of simplification.
0: Why is it so important to put an investment policy statement initially and then a retirement policy kind of statement in writing what what does that what's the benefit of that i see the
1: chief benefit is it keeps you from being buffeted around by whatever is going on in the market mm-hmm. i see documenting these things is a way to kind of hold yourself to whatever plan you've you've set out for yourself, that it kind of keeps you from changing up things less often than you might be inclined to do. So in a year like 2022, for example, you might have wanted to completely jettison stocks because they drop so much. And we see that investors sometimes do sell stocks during periods like that. The idea of the um, policy statement is that you are keeping yourself in line or at least committing to a given investment uh, sort of mix on an ongoing basis.
0: You and I uh, did an earlier uh, program um, about uh, how, how much higher yields and higher interest rates have changed our you know, retirement uh, plans and uh, the investments and how much more attractive fixed income is again. Does it behoove us to do, I mean, an annual review I love the idea of a thorough
1: once annual review, maybe twice a year if you feel inclined, but I think once a year is plenty where you're checking your savings rate if you're someone who's still in accumulation mode where you're still working and saving for retirement. If you're retired, you'd want to check in on your portfolio spending level just to make sure that's in line with what is safe. You're checking your asset allocation to see whether any recalibration is in order. So following 2020, 23, for example, great equity market, many investors might want to be rebalancing back into safer securities. So you're checking your asset allocation. You're also thinking about required minimum distributions. If you're someone who's over age 73 and subject to those RMDs, you want to make sure you take your RMDs on time. And then I would tie charitable giving into this as well. So if you're a charitably inclined person, you'd want to perhaps tie that into your portfolio maintenance where if you're doing some of the pruning that we've talked about, maybe you'd want to think about directing some of the sales of appreciated securities to charities, which has kind of a a double benefit in that it is a way to wash out any capital gains attached to those securities. So you're not going to owe those capital gains if you direct the securities to charity. And then you'd be able to deduct that contribution as well. So kind of a twofer from the standpoint of giving directly from your financial accounts to the charity of your choice and then the other nice thing about the year-end sort of portfolio review is that you could look at other tax planning opportunities so tax loss selling most of us didn't have many tax loss selling opportunities as 2023 wound down but 2022 was a great tax loss selling year right yeah So check to see whether there might be some opportunities to do things along those lines. I know a lot of folks who have just retired might look at doing a series of Roth conversions where you're converting traditional IRA assets to Roth. You could tie it all together rather than, Mm -hmm. you know, having a long list of tasks that you want to accomplish with your portfolio, make it one large year-end portfolio review.
0: Christine, one of the interesting things that you've told me recently is that Morningstar has really uh, recalculated what percentage of assets in a retirement portfolio needs to be in equities. And you've actually lowered uh, the recommendation, uh, you know, to 20 to 40 percent equities in a portfolio, which is lower than most of us think or thought we should go into retirement with. So can you tell us a little bit um, about that decision?
1: Yeah, so we run this uh, study every year where we look at safe starting withdrawal rates for new retirees. And we look at a variety of different asset allocation mixes to see which would support the highest starting safe withdrawal percentage. And it definitely jumped out at all of us that our simulation went to a fairly low equity weighting. So between 20 and 40% in stocks led to the highest starting safe withdrawal amount of 4% for people with a 30-year retirement time horizon. And that's largely because when we run this Simulation, our base case assumption is that someone wants a very steady kind of paycheck equivalent throughout retirement. So they're basically looking for the same amount on an inflation adjusted basis throughout the whole retirement. And given that input, our system gravitates to fixed income securities as a big share of their, their portfolio, because today, the higher yields on offer really do supply a lot of that retiree's needed cash flows. But there are trade-offs with that posi- positioning, definitely. If you have such a light equity posture, it gives the portfolio uh, certainly fewer opportunities to grow over the years. It's going to supply that cash flow stream, but there might be fewer leftovers, which is important to a lot of retirees who want to leave a bequest for children, grandchildren, charity, whatever the case might be. If you are sticking with such a low equity allocation, you may be forsaking some of those bequest opportunities. So I think that's a major caveat. Many retirees will want to run with higher equity allocations because it will tend to enlarge the the portfolio over many market cycles. They just have to be comfortable with a little bit extra jostling along the way, and they may have to course correct and take less in a bad year like 2022.
0: So, Christine, one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio with uh, the decluttering of your portfolio task in mind. So I've been banging
1: this drum for international equity for I don't know how many years, Mm -hmm. and we have not seen it come to fruition. In fact, we've seen uh, international equity investors continue to lose out to investors with U.S. equity portfolios. But if you're looking at this and are compelled by the lower valuations on offer overseas, which... I think are pretty compelling today. You might think about staking a portion of your portfolio and just kind of a one and done international index fund. I would look to a Vanguard total international stock index. Uh, you can buy it in an exchange-traded fund form or in a traditional mutual fund form. But it's a way to obtain a ton of diversification, exposure to developed and emerging markets at a very, very low cost. All of the major investment providers offer something along the lines of this, this fund, whether Fidelity or Schwab or, or iShares. So if you right. don't have a Vanguard account, you can obtain an analogous product through one of
0: them. Right. And these international funds, considering how well the U.S. stock market has done, at least the Magnificent Seven and their equivalents have done, um, we probably, or uh, are, are, all of us, don't have enough uh, money allocated to the international markets, which have lagged. So we'll, we'll try once again for 2024. Right. We'll see if it pans out this time. <laughs> exactly. Christine Benz, thank you so much for joining us once again on WealthTrack.
1: Thank you so much, Consuelo.
0: It's been my pleasure. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. Not surprisingly, we are following Christine Benz's advice. So this week's action point is streamline your portfolio. Christine just gave us several steps to do so. Identify and locate your accounts. Most of us have multiple ones. Separate the tax-deferred ones from the taxable ones. If possible, consolidate the tax-deferred ones into a single IRA. Multiple Roth IRAs can be combined into one large Roth, too. Do the same consolidation exercise with taxable accounts. If possible, put the consolidated accounts in one firm to make tracking them from a performance, income, and tax perspective much easier. There is no time like the present to simplify your finances. Decluttering is an important first step. Well, next week, Star Portfolio Manager David Drew discusses where he is finding compelling values in the market and how AI figures into his strategy. In this week's extra feature, while many of us make multiple New Year's resolutions, Christine Benz picked one word for this year. She shares her 2024 choice and her extra interview on WealthTrack.com. If you aren't so inclined, please follow us on Facebook and our YouTube channel, Thanks for spending time with us. Have a super weekend and make the week ahead, including Valentine's Day, a healthy, profitable, and productive one.